Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Nurses have been in short supply going back to the 1930s and continues today, amplified and further exposed by the pandemic that has laid so many aspects of our society and health system bare and exposed to scrutiny. The nursing profession dates back even before Florence Nightingale, but it was the lady with the lamp, as she was known, who through her own personal experiences and work developed foundational views on sanitation as she grappled with cholera outbreaks, a disease spread through unsanitary conditions. But it was her efforts to establish a training school in St. Thomas's Hospital in London in 1860 that really set the stage for the profession and cemented her name into history. While the attention and status she brought to the nursing profession with people from all walks of life aspiring to be like her, wanting to enter the profession, demand quickly outstrips supply and remains to this day. Increasing demands, an aging population that not only seeks and needs more care, but also includes many of the very nurses we need. The pandemic added further stresses to an already strained system, pushing many towards breaking point and creating some uncomfortable economic drivers around the country. The staff remaining skew towards a younger set, with less experience adding to the stress and burnout. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down podcast as I talk with Maria Suarez. She's the president of the Nursing Consortium of South Florida and also an assistant vice president of nursing at the Miami Cancer Institute at Baptist Health South Florida, who's an experienced nurse that has worked on the front lines of clinical care and is working to advocate for the development and representation of nurses in all areas of care. Maria is joined by Ralph Egues. He is the executive director of the Nursing Consortium of South Florida, who's leading the organization to strengthen nursing relationships and the nursing community, as we discuss ways in which they have been addressing these issues and see a path forward. Hi, Maria. Hi, Ralph. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be with you, Nick. Hi, Nick. Nice to be here. So uh, we have seen a uh, devastating, I I think there is no other word for this, not just with the pandemic, but the impact downstream of the pandemic on resources in healthcare have been devastating. And that's particularly true in healthcare. Tell us a little bit about what's going on and what's been happening. Now, we've been at the uh, Nursing Consortium of South Florida taking uh, a deep dive into what's been happening, Nick. Um, 
you know, there's there are factors, uh, things that uh, we've done uh, that has made the situation worse, and also things that have just happened outside of our control, as you might well imagine. But uh, one thing that's that's true is that the nursing workforce going forward in the next decade is going to look very different from the nurse workforce over the last couple of decades. So. If you think about nurses, they're on the front line. They're the essential component to the delivery of healthcare. Why are we seeing all of this sort of loss almost? Did we see this pre-pandemic or was this a direct consequence? Or was it much like many other instances where you just sort of, it, it's almost as if we peel back the covers and people go, wow, I didn't know this was happening. It's very, we, well, certainly both of those is true. So before the pandemic, we were seeing a perfect storm, if you will, of increasing demand um, and supply that was not growing to keep up actually uh, losses in, in staffing, so, uh, losses in staffing due to retirement. Over the last three decades, we've had a very stable nursing workforce, certainly in South Florida. Um, but we were seeing with the retirement of baby boomers that we were going to have significant retirements uh, into the next you know, five, six years. Uh, what COVID did is, is that it accelerated that to a great extent. Uh, and, and I should say COVID, but also other factors. We've, in South Florida, we have become the newest uh, uh, bedroom community, if you will, of New York City with all these uh, professionals being able to work from home, well, you know, they're smart and uh, home is now South Florida for many of them. So we've had sharp increases in the <clears throat> cost of housing, both uh, to purchase and rental. And that's had an impact. Uh, and it also created a sense of urgency for those nearing retirement to say, this is the time I need to do it now. So it wasn't just the uncertainty of the pandemic. It wasn't just the additional workload, et cetera, the concerns about extended family and their own health, but also just for those other reasons, it just became an opportune time and certainly at a very inopportune time for, uh, for hospitals and the broader healthcare community. Wow, it feels like the imperfect storm. Let's just call it that with all of those uh, contributory factors. Maria, you're on the front lines. What have you been seeing with your nurses and, and how have you been coping with it? Well, uh, as Ralph says, uh, yes, I agree. The, you know, we've always had nursing shortage before the pandemic. But the pandemic has really catapulted this to another level and really, like Ralph said, accelerated it where, you know, we are what we expected to see maybe years down the road with the retirement of the baby boomers. We're seeing it a lot early. I, and I really think that, you know, it's it's been very difficult because we have lost many of our experienced nurses. And what we have now at the bedside are the new nurses or the new grads. I feel that. Um, the talent that we had um, either left for traveling assignments or retired. Uh, and right now what we have at the bedside are nurses that are uh, new in their career. So what do healthcare facilities have to do to counteract this? I mean, if this has been a, an ongoing decline, it feels like, well, okay, we've just exposed it, but we don't have solutions. 
Yet we must have solutions because if anything, we're seeing you know, continued stress and strain on healthcare systems. What, so what, do, what do they do? So <laughs> what, what they've done was one, partner with universities to develop scholars program, uh, which assists nursing students uh, with scholarship monies uh, during school. And uh, in return, they sign a contract to work with the organization. In addition to that, they've had to implement long residency programs. They're clearly not ready to practice as they were 10, 15 years ago. So longer residency programs to make sure that they are proficient and the competencies that needed for safe practice and quality care are validated. So, you know, that's a fair uh, sort of approach. But one of the things that stands out to me when you talk about extending the duration of training is you're extending the duration that people are not earning, um, uh, you know, wages commensurate with the value that they bring to the system because they're in training for, uh, you know, clear reasons. Um, and if you extend that even further, you're amplifying the problem that you see on the economics with this increasing cost of living. No, Nick, the, the training program, they are paid the same salary as a registered nurse. So the financial impact, it's in, it's in the uh, hospitals or the healthcare organizations, not the nurse. And, and I believe that Nick was, um, was alluding to that, actually, uh, that it's, uh, it's taking more of an investment, more of a financial hit, if you will, on the institution. Uh, and Nick, um, we recognize uh, that we're going to need to make a, an investment uh, in what nursing looks like going forward. Um, and, uh, and there's really no alternative. Um, if, if investments uh, that are needed to be made, uh, and not just in terms of, of uh, wage adjustments, but in other ways also, if they're not made, we're going to have tremendous churn, and there is a, a very steep price to be paid, you know, for that. So it's very important. But, you know, in addition to identifying and peeling back the onion, as you say, on what the challenges were for, for nursing, as, uh, what COVID did to nursing and what COVID revealed about nursing, we also have worked towards, you know, certain initiatives that need to take place, um, things that happen you know, in many parts of the country, care was essentially rationed. Um, we said no to elective procedures. We, we, we limited the availability of certain services. And in some cases, these decisions were made at the hospital level or at the system level. In some cases, these decisions were made at the state level. In South Florida, that didn't happen. Uh, in other parts of the country, certain hospitals were designated as COVID hospitals. Um, and, and the other hospitals were, remained COVID free. In South Florida, that didn't happen. Um, and uh, in, in, um, in, as I mentioned, in, in some areas, you know, care was rationed, if you will. Uh, in South Florida, we paid a, a steep price, first of all, to continue providing services to our community. And secondly, to protect our staff, which was overworked, stressed, and in the most difficult of conditions. And, and no expense was, was not born to accomplish those two, uh, in those, those two priorities. Um, 
However, we recognize now going back and looking at what happened uh, as we were doing that, um, you know, and, and, and some things happened that now we need to undo. You know, you, you bring up an important point relative to that, that not only all of the burnout and the additional stress, but there was also, particularly at the early stage, you know, lack of appropriate supplies, people being asked to reuse things, you know, completely unacceptable outside of your control that, you know, I think we saw throughout the country, um, hopefully better and, you know, in, in, at least improved, I, I, I would expect. When you think about the skill set, it's interesting you bring up that um, the, the, the uh, younger nurses, less skilled, you know, obviously with less exposure and the loss, which, you know, seems to be particularly acute. How do you reconcile or deliver against that training requirement whilst getting more folks into that? Yes. Well, well I, I, I think, Nick, there's an opportunity with nursing students that could start training in while they're in nursing school to be able to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. um, I also think it would provide them more exposure and, and to clinical rotations and patient care that they would get in their traditional program. Uh, I think we need to start early. I need we, I think we need to partner with our universities and colleges to come up with creative ways to bridge that gap and have them be more ready to practice safely and deliver quality of care when they graduate. And that way we can cut on uh, the residencies and the cost of extending orientation. And, and let us not forget that nursing truly is a calling, that there is a magic to nursing. Uh, when you can every day, make a difference in people's lives in a most vulnerable state, um, that's something special. And when you have new nurses coming into an environment and experiencing that for a first time, it reminds some of these experienced nurses why a decade, two decades, three decades ago, they came into the profession. And it can be uh, you know, an, an energizing influence. So I don't, I don't like to, uh, you know, look at these conversations as the experience versus the non-experienced. We need to take a team approach. And that's what the, the nursing consortium, one of the initiatives the nursing consortium is, is advancing. And we need to take a team approach to how we best deliver care to our patients. If we're going to be uh, achieving uh, ever higher levels of patient satisfaction, ever improving levels of patient outcomes. Yeah, so I, I've got to second that, you know, shout out to my wife who, uh, nurse midwife, um, you, you know, and I, I recognize that calling and the privilege I have of having a nurse in my family because that bleeds through into personal life. So 100% agree with you and we have to support that. But one of the things that you talked about was the cost of living and, you know, the rising circumstances this is not just confined to Florida um, and, you know, is across the continent and even, you know, potentially in the world. There is a limited pool. How do we address that without, you know, entering a nuclear arms race of pay scales? Well, um, we, it, it's going to take much more than, than pay. You know, we have to look at, and, and I, I look at it as a blessing, um, the 
the generation of nurses that is going to replace those nurses that have left is very different than the ones that they're replacing. And we, we have to look at that uh, desire for greater work-life balance, uh, you know, and, and other uh, drivers and respond to those, uh, as well as making sure that you know, that, that our compensation is appropriate, appropriate for our cost uh, here locally. Um, and, and, uh, and that, you know, we, we're also looking at things like, um, like career ladders, other ways that nurses progress and make sure that those are most responsive um, to, to performance uh, more so than just longevity. Uh, you know, in the roles. And, and so there's, there's a lot of rethinking um, taking place as, as we look at the models, as we re rework the models, um, and, and we look for, you know, what's the, what are the ideal steps that individual organizations can take to move from where we are to where we need to get. And I think, Nick, that uh, this generation um, is, like Ralph said, is not like previous generations. Uh, one of the things that's very important to them is work-life balance and really thinking innovatively and creatively to uh, come up with innovative ske work schedules. Uh, in addition to advancement, Th this generation wants advancement and recognition. And, you know, when I started my nursing career, there were nurses at the bedside that were there 30 and 40 years. That's no longer the case. Uh, the newer generation, they want to advance. They want leadership roles. They want advanced practice roles. And we have to get creative and find opportunities for them that way. Yeah, I, I think great sort of uh, opportunities. And I love your um, uh, framing Ralph, of, of the blessing, essentially, of all of this that allows us an opportunity to focus on something that, you know, as, as you described, Maria, has been longstanding, uh, you know, contributory, perhaps, or almost certainly to the continued decline and challenge of uh, recruitment. One of the areas that I, I, you know, constantly think about is technology. And you know, you talked about skills, um, you know, exposure, and there's a limited number of opportunities to sort of compress that schedule, get people up to the skill set. And obviously you want to capitalize on that. But is there a place for technology that can help amplify this? Huge, huge, Nick. Um, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, it, it, and that's, that's one of the blessings. We have a, uh, we have a, a, uh, uh, a new workforce coming in that is much more comfortable with technology um, than the prior workforces. When we look at technology employed at the bedside, how much of it really helps nurses do what they need to do? Very little, as you know. You know, there's, there are national studies suggesting that up to 36% of a nurse's time is consumed in in, in work related to feeding the technology machine, if you will, but they get very little, yeah, but they get very little back, you know, from that. We need systems that help nurses nurse. Um, and and, uh, and, and there, there's very little of that deployed anywhere. Um, and we certainly look forward to 
you know, more of that being made available for nurses at the bedside, for nurse managers. And in what other profession do you have spans of control of 100 direct reports, you know, other than in nursing? I mean, no, no other profession would, would consider that to be, you know, reasonable, much less achievable. For, for nursing, it's normal. Uh, but now with such a large number of new nurses coming in, it's one thing leading a group that, that you've been with for two or three decades. It's another thing when you have 20, 30% of the workforce that's new, those nurse managers need help uh, if they're going to be able to effectively bring those new nurses you know, into a team and, and lead a team that can achieve higher performance measures. And also, I want to add to Ralph, uh, as related to technology, there's also nursing informatics, which are advanced graduate degrees where nurses can really learn and play a role and give input on what works best for them to keep them at the bedside, to make sure that many of the manual processes are uh, um, automated through documentation and so forth. So there is a huge opportunity for technology in nursing practice. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. We, we've seen historically the underserved aspect of nursing in particular, in part, I think, because they didn't have a voice at the table to attract the attention and the necessary investment um, to help solve some of those problems. Perhaps we've seen a little bit of a silver lining once again from this pandemic that has opened that uh, particular door and allowed for more focus and obviously the value proposition that as you rightly described says we need to get the maximum value from these individuals that ultimately when you look at a lot of the data people's care perception is very closely linked to the nursing that's delivered at the bedside and if we're not facilitating that we're failing to do so um, Nick, I just wanted to add one quick thing in order to get through this pandemic. I feel that interprofessional collaboration is key. We need to work as a team with our pharmacists, with our physicians, with our respiratory therapists to be able to address uh, you know, patient needs and making sure that we're providing adequate safe care to patients. And I think we need to do more of that. And I think it needs to be incorporated more in training. Uh, nurses being trained with physicians, with pharmacists, um, medication is medication, assessment is assessment. Um, and I think more interprofessional collaboration is probably something that we need to look at in the future. There's, there's also, Nick, a great need for advocacy. We have, yes. um, we, we, you know, the nursing profession, the, the hospital industry uh, are, are really not very good at asking for help. Um, you know, here in South Florida, largest economic driver is tourism. They're always asking for beach restoration and other things, right? Healthcare is the third largest economic driver, third largest employer. What does healthcare ask for of the community at large? Very little. Uh, the, the message is always, you know, we're here for you. We've got your back. We've got great services, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's time to say, we're in the midst of a great reload and we want to be here, not as we've always been here. We want to be here for you better than we've ever been here. 
and and it's time. Fantastic. I think what a great closing note to finish on. Um, you know, tremendous opportunity. I love, you know, reaching out, asking for help. And that cooperative aspect for me is sort of central tenets of all of this. Um, Maria, Ralph, thank you for joining me today. A thank pleasure, you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Solutions to nursing shortages come in all shapes and sizes. They start in the area of recruitment, training that is supported with scholarship programs, an accelerated training, bridging the gap with early clinical exposure and partnership with programs to provide expansive clinical rotations. It extends into better working environments, technology that helps and relieves the administrative workload, freeing the limited nursing resource to focus on the thing they signed up for, are best at, and deliver the most value to the healthcare system, patient care. This week, your better pill to swallow is to return nursing to the calling that it has always been and still is. Create flexible programs and working environments that support the improved work-life balance that will attract and retain the nurses of the future and create opportunities to participate in all aspects of care, the leadership organization, and shaping our healthcare system delivery with a seat at every decision-making table, facilitating interprofessional collaboration. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.